And we're in a sermon series called Culture War. So if you're going to put something on social media, use the hashtag Culture War so we'll be able to see that. If you would like the sermon notes, there's the email address that you use to get the sermon notes. The culture, the environment of the world is shifting away from God. The result of this shift, and it really shouldn't be a surprise to us because God clearly laid it out in the Bible that this was going to happen. So we don't need to be freaking out. Matter of fact, there is a verse that says, don't freak out about that. I mean, we know, it's Pharaoh Hardison chapter 2 verse 7. But listen, we know that this, we know this was going to come. We know the shift was going to take place. All of this shift to the left away from God um, really is in lieu of his coming. It sets up his coming back to this earth. Now, the bridge is a church that believes in the return of Jesus Christ back to this earth. Isn't that right? Don't we believe that? Jesus is coming back. And we are seeing a clear line of demarcation. Somebody uh, asked me recently, well, pastor, which is it going to be? Is there going to be a great falling away, falling away, or is there going to be a great revival? The answer to that is yes, because there is going to be that clear line of demarcation as God gets his church ready. Because of this cultural shift away from God, the result is a growing tension between the church, churches like ours, and that secular culture in the world. So in this series, we're going to respond to the question, when culture changes, how do we respond? How does the church respond? How do his disciples react to culture that is growing more and more hostile toward God, toward his word, and toward his church? Will I change the world? Will I have an effect on the culture? Or will the culture, the world, change me? Will the church influence the culture? Or will the church allow the culture to influence it? Romans 12 and 2, Paul is pretty clear about this. He says, and be not conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs, but be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes so that you may prove, that is, discern for yourself through the Holy Spirit, what the will of God is, what is good to God what is acceptable and perfect to God, what is acceptable and perfect and good in his plan and purposes for you. So the, the Bible, the word of God that we believe here at the bridge to be infallible. We believe the word of God is infallible. We believe the word of God is inerrant. And we would challenge you, I'm not going to get into that, but we would challenge you to do your study on those words and that position on scripture. We believe the Bible is true. Let me just clear it up for you. We believe that if the Bible said Jonah swallowed a whale, we believe that. Amen? I mean, we believe the Word of God. We even believe on the outside where it says genuine leather. We believe the whole Bible. Um, 
you know, you look at some of these Bibles that have genuine leather, and you go, I'm pretty sure that's not genuine leather. <laughs> it looks more like naga hide, and then you wonder how many little nagas they had to kill to make that. But anyway. So here in Romans 12 and 2, God provides really very clear instructions to us through Paul. He talks to his followers. He talks to those who have surrendered their life to Christ on how we are to live in this anti-Christ world. How we are to live in this anti-Bible world, in this anti-Christian culture. And the Word of God says we're to live righteously. We're to live righteously. And I know you're sitting out there, especially if you haven't heard any of this sermon series, and you're going, well, okay, I mean, that really don't help me. Can you go a little further? I'm so glad you asked. Modern culture is attempting and doing a pretty good job. As a matter of fact, they're pretty effective at redefining righteousness. Redefining what is good. Y'all with me? Redefining what is acceptable. Culture says that when we take what we consider to be a God-pleasing, a Bible-based stand on the cultural issues around us, the culture tells us as a church that we are in fact being unrighteous in taking those positions and we're not being righteous. Are you guys hearing this in the world? That we're being unrighteous, that we are being unrighteous when we take a stand against things that God has said clearly are not acceptable to him. When we take those stands, we're being mean. We're being unreasonable. We're being intolerant. They believe we are fanatical and narrow-minded. So what are we to do? Are we to live righteously or are we to kind of compromise a little bit so we can influence our modern culture toward God? Because as I look around me, I see churches, and I'm not here to criticize other churches today, but I see churches that I believe are doing that. And I believe a lot of times their intentions are really, really good, but they don't recognize the damage they're doing as they compromise on the things of God so they can reach more people. Or is it possible? This is the question we want to answer in this series. Is it possible for a Christian to live a righteous, uncompromising life and still have godly impact in the culture? Is it possible for us to fully obey God and be uncompromising where he has called on us to be uncompromising and still have a positive, positive impact on this secular culture? I believe the answer to that is yes. There's one more sermon in this series uh, next week, but today what I want to do is let's go to the book of Daniel and let's meet him and some of his friends. And you guys... Um, um, I believe are jumping ahead of me a little bit. What was that? What was the slide you just had up there? I didn't recognize that one. Well, okay. All right. I'm sorry. You're not jumping ahead of me. Go to the next one. Daniel 1. Good job. Let's give it up for our guys up there. They never know what I'm going to say or do. We, we appreciate y'all. So here we are in the book of Daniel, chapter 1, beginning with verse 3. If you know anything about the Bible, if you've been in the church for any length of time, you kind of know what's going on here. But the deal is that the Israelites, and I'm going to really make this short and sweet. There's a lot more 
uh, depth here that you can get into, but basically God's nation of Israel had rebelled against God, and when you rebel against God, you always make yourself vulnerable to the enemy. When God shows you his will and shows you his purposes, and don't sit here today and go, well, that's what I'm waiting on for him to show me his, that's all in the word of God. You don't have to wait for a revelation on that. Am I making sense? God's already said what he wants and what he doesn't want, how he wants you to live and not live. So we already know that. So when we go against God's plan, then we make ourselves, we put ourselves in a position where we become vulnerable to the enemy. We become vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. That's what happened here. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, led his armies to invade Israel and take Daniel captive along with a number of other Hebrew youths. So let's pick up right there. Then the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family. The, the um, nation of Israel was divided at this time. and He was talking about the, uh, the Judah um, division of the nation of Israel. He says, I want you to take some of the young men of Judah's royal family. Notice who he's looking for. Notice who the enemy wants here. Notice who the enemy's trying to influence. Notice who the enemy's trying to use. Young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Next slide. Select and I want you to think about this in relation to us and who the enemy's looking for. Can I just preach today? You guys, get, I'm not going to scare anybody to death, but I just want to tell you something. What I'm about to read is um, so clearly aligned with the universities and the educational system of our nation and our world. Um, one of the things that I'm deeply concerned about in these last days is what I'm seeing happen among our young people as they come out of our children's ministry, as they come out of our student ministry, and they love Jesus and they love the Word of God, and then they get into the universities. I'm, I know you're like, I'm, I went to university or I teach in a university. I love you. I love you and thank God for you and love education and thank God for education. But would anybody agree with me that we've gotten away from education now and we are teaching people what to believe? Hey, let's get back to teaching. Let's get back to the original purpose of education, and that is to just to teach, not to convert, but to teach. That is not in my notes, trust me. And I can tell you guys are like, move on, Pastor. Select our strong, healthy Good-looking, so I would have been in that group. <laughs> young, there I am again. <laughs> Strong, healthy, good-looking young men, Nebuchadnezzar said, make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning and make sure they are gifted with knowledge and good judgment and make sure they're suited to serve in the royal palace. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to teach them our culture. I want, you to, I want you to change them. And I want you to train these young men in the language and literature, which is the what? Culture 
of not Israel, but Babylon. Let's go to the last slide. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. Now, it's important to note here that this in itself was a violation of what God had laid out in the Jewish dietary law and the food had been previously offered to worship idols, uh, the gods of the Babylonians. So, so there was a lot of um, calling on them to compromise even with, the, even with the diet that he had provided for them. They were to be trained for three years and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all of the tribe of Judah, um, the chief of staff, come on, say the last two words. Rename them. Our modern culture wants to rename us. Our modern culture wants to label us. Change our identity. The culture we live in today wants us to leave behind our values and leave behind our customs as committed followers of Jesus Christ. And the world wants us to conform to its values and its customs. Number one, you can tweet this out, culture changes, but God doesn't. Culture changes but God doesn't. So when it comes to culture, Christians need to be clear about what God has said we can change and what God says we cannot change. There are acceptable cultural norms that God's Word allows us to change within the context of biblical Christianity, and there are accepted cultural norms that God's Word forbids us to change within the context of biblical Christianity. When you study church history, when you just go back and look at the history of the church, and you don't have to go far back, um, but it is from the very beginning, you're going to find a pattern of the church getting things completely backwards in this area. The church has made unholy things holy, and the church has made holy things unholy. I mean, just think about the stuff we get really, really upset about. I remember when I announced we were going to take the pews out and put chairs in. I had no idea that pews were in the Bible, but I was told very quickly that we are going to have pews. Churches, in general, never get really upset about the fact that nobody's getting saved in their churches, but they will get fired up about the color of some curtains. Who's been there? You can't get them to come to church, but you have a business meeting and you'll see people you haven't seen in 15 years. That's why we don't have them. How many of y'all like the fact we don't have them here at the bridge? Now, there's a few of you who really miss them. I know you do, but you're going to keep missing them. Pews versus chairs. There is a kind of music that is holy. And there is a kind of music that is unholy. Amen? I mean, these are the things we get upset about. We don't really 
We don't really worry so much about the content of what's being sung. We're worried about whether I like that style or not. So we fuss about it and we argue about it. One of the things here at the bridge that we get all the time are calls from other pastors in other churches. Matter of fact, I had a call from a pastor in Atlanta this week who drove all the way up here to Goldsboro with his wife because his church is going through a transition. He knew we had been through that transition. And so we had a, a long meeting and and I uh, had dinner together as he was asking me, you know, what, how do we make that transition without making everybody mad? I said, I don't know, because I did make a bunch of people mad when we, when we made our transition. But we get that question a lot, and people come to us about that because it is a huge deal in churches. I really don't have many pastors call me and go, can you meet with me and tell me how to reach more people for Jesus Christ? It's all about conflicts in the church that are not even big deals about whether we're going to get people to cry. These are the things we get all bent out of shape about. Elmer Towns. Elmer Towns, Dr. Elmer Towns is a teacher at Liberty University, and he's an author of many great books. Any book by Elmer Towns, read it, read it, read it. He's got a great book on fasting. Uh, but Dr. Elmer Towns, I love this. He said, methods are many, principles are few. Methods may change, but principles never do. That's what we believe here at the bridge. Methods are many. Principles are few. Methods at the bridge, come on, may change, but the principles based on Scripture of the bridge, what? Never do. And some people still struggle with that. They still, even though we say that and we're clear about that, and I know some of you uh, probably don't care for the next person I'm going to quote, but I have a lot of respect for him. Pastor Rick Warren said, Our message of transformation must never change. Somebody say amen, whether you like Pastor Rick or not. Our message of transformation must never change, while the transformation of our presentation should be continual, adapting to the new languages of our culture. As a matter of fact, it may blow your mind, but Jesus actually never said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee. That's how it was interpreted. Really, um, if you wanted to interpret it in our day, it would be, Listen up, listen up, but I'm about to say something right here. So a lot of the stuff that you think and that we have, again, making things that aren't holy. They might not be wrong, but they're, and we make them holy. So, the word contemporary actually means temporariness. As a matter of fact, we had a band member, we got invited many years ago to go to this huge church and lead worship. Somebody had heard our worship team, and they were like, and we were probably maybe 400 back then in attendance, and they had heard our worship team, and they were like, we want you to come lead worship at our big event. So our team went to lead worship, and our drummer looked at them, and they said, now, we hope you like our music. It's temporary. <laughs> Well, actually, he wasn't that far off because the word contemporary means temporariness. So to help us understand as Christians how to respond to a swiftly changing culture, 
how to know what God allows us to change and what God does not allow us to change, how to fulfill the purposes of God without forming our own legalistic laws. Because i got to tell you, you got one end, both words begin with L, you got churches going in a liberal direction where everything's okay and we're all God's kids and every religion leads to heaven and, and every religion leads to God. That's on that liberal end. But then there's the legalistic end where we as a church have made up a bunch of rules that aren't even in the Bible. Who's with me? Who's hearing me preach out there? So how do we... How do we deal with this? How do we make sure that we're where God wants us to be with this? So let's go to the book of Daniel again and let's go back to verse 7. Let's look at verse 7. The head of the palace staff gave the Babylonian, gave them Babylonian names. So they had names, they had Jewish names, and you know in the Jewish culture every name had a very specific meaning, very, very important, the naming of the children and um, but they changed their names. Daniel's name was changed to Belteshazzar. Hananiah was the right name. The Jewish name was changed to Shadrach. Mishael was changed to Meshach. And Azariah was named Abednego. Now when we talk about this story in the Bible, we always say what? Shadrach, Meshach, so we, we, are go, we go with the Babylonian names. Isn't that, isn't that, I thought that was interesting. We go with the Babylonian names. Those are the names given to these Israelite, these very bright, um, talented, gifted Israelites. These were the Babylonian names given. So let's look at these names real quick, and then we'll be done. So Daniel's name was changed to Belteshazzar, and I want you to look at the difference. So Daniel, the name Daniel means God is my judge, and his new Babylonian name was Belteshazzar, which means lady protect the queen. King, I'm sorry. I guess when I said lady, I went to queen, you know. So I thought, wow, talk about gender confusion the devil's been doing that for a long time, hasn't he? He's been working in that area and realm for a long time. But I want you to stay right here a minute. So I want you to see what the Babylonians are doing here. They are shifting from God is my judge or Yahweh uh, is my judge to, um, which talks about the authority of God, and they're taking away here and leading to the authority of man. So the enemy here is trying to change the focus from valuing the authority of God above the authority of man. So let's look at the next name, Hananiah. Hananiah means Yahweh or God be what? Gracious. His new Babylonian name was Shadrach, which means I am fearful of God. So here, when we look at what they're doing here, culture wants to shift us from that proper perspective that God is good, he's gracious to a God who is to be feared. Now we are to fear God in the healthy sense of honor and respect. That's not what this is. This is a unhealthy fear of God, that God is bad, that God's going to get you. Culture wants to shift us from a trust of God who loves us to an unhealthy fear of God. Culture says God is harsh. 
Culture says God is unloving. God is harsh. God is unloving. The world is gentle. The world is loving. Don't you see this message being perpetrated out there? That this is the way you love. This is how you love. You don't love the way the Bible says love. You love the way the culture says to love. The culture says God is cruel. The culture says God is judgmental. They tell us he is inconsistent and contradicts himself. To bring it down to issues that we face every day, they insinuate, if they don't come right out and say, that God hates homosexuals. And God hates transgenders. Let's go to the next one. Mishael's name was changed to uh, Meshach. Mishael means who is what God is, or nobody's like God. Who's what God is? I mean, that's the way he's asking that. There's nobody like God is. Come on. Amen? Nobody like God. So that's what he's saying right there. And his new Babylonian name was Meshach, which means I am despised, contemptible, and humiliated. So this is a shift from confidence in God and confidence in his love and confidence that even when I misbehave, he's going to walk with me, he's going to be there with me, to a, to a self-condemnation that I'm never going to match up to him. I'm never going to be what he wants me to, to be. I, I'm not, I, it, is a, it is a move away from grace. It is a, a more focused look on the law. And this is what this um, cultural shift is an attempt to do with this name. Look at the next name, Azariah. His name was changed to Abednego. And Azariah means who is what, I'm sorry, did I, did I skip something? Azariah means God has helped, sorry, my notes are messed up here. God has helped, and Abednego means servant of Nebuchadnezzar. So we see here that the name, the right name, the godly name, Yahweh, is that God is my help, and God is here to bless me, and God is here to, I'm certainly going to serve him, but God is here to meet my needs and to bless me and to take care of me. And this gets us to a place where we are servants. We are servants under a cruel taskmaster. The new Babylonian name Abednego, which means servant of Nebuchadnezzar. This is a shift from sonship to servanthood. Where we view ourselves more as a servant than we view ourselves as a child of God. So it is that we see that shift going on here in the book of Daniel. So how do we respond to this obvious effort in our culture and in the context of our world? This obvious attempt and it's very effective to rename us, to relabel us and everything around us. And here's the answer to that. The answer is to know who you are, amen, and remember who you are. If you don't, the world will what? Rename you. That is so important in this message today. Know who you are, remember who you are, because if you don't, the world is going to be effective in renaming you. You know, basically what I'm saying today is we can't be unintentional about serving God. We've got to serve God on purpose. 
We've got to be intentional in our service of God. So if it's so important for me to not let culture shift me away from the things of God, then where do I find myself connected to God? Where do I find my correct identity so I can know who I am and so I can remember who I am? And the answer is, next slide, God's Word says who I am. I am who God says I am. So if you're, if you're not into the Word of God, if you're not studying the Word of God on your own, if you're not finding out what God's Word says about who you are, then you're going to have identity when the culture pushes back on who you thought you were. If you don't have a firm understanding of the Scriptures and you're not in the Scriptures, you're going to get pushed around by the culture. Am I making sense up here? The second thing is, the second way you know who you are and you're able to remember who you are is you remember your calling. You remember your calling. I exist for God's purposes. Now, one of the things we do here at the bridge all the time and we push all the time is that you serve, is that you get into our discovery class classes, you get into our next step classes so you can discover God's word and you can discover ways that you on your own can know more about God's word and then we're going to help you find out what your gift is and we're going to help you understand what your calling is and that's where you get assurance in your identity. That's where you get that firmness, that confidence in who you are. You don't forget who you are, you remember who you are when you're understanding God's word and you're understanding your calling, what God has called you to do. So that's where the battleground is. And the reason the culture has been so effective in pushing us around, and the reason you look around and you see the culture invading and influencing the church more than you see the church invading and influencing the culture is because we don't know God's word. And we've never really tried to find out what, why we're here. And we hear about classes that are available, and we hear about teaching that is available, and we hear about right now media that's available, but we don't pursue those things. And then when we get push, pushed around by culture, we're shocked, we're surprised. When we begin to, to, to question the, the basic things we were taught as we were growing up in the church, it is because we've gotten away from the Word and we don't understand why God put us here and why God made us. Now, here's what we're going to talk about next week. So how do I respond to the world? I mean, I want to, I want to be uncompromising in my relationship with God. I want to be uncompromising in my behavior as a Christian. I want to be uncompromising, but at the same time, I want to be able to, to talk to people who haven't believed yet. I want to be able to have influence with people who haven't trusted Christ as their personal Savior. So how do I, what do I do? So we're going to deal with that next week, and I want to leave you with one more verse of Scripture. And I want you to study this verse this week, kind of like a little homework thing, because I want you to look at how Daniel responded to them. But Daniel, come on, everybody say the yellow. He what? Made up his mind. That's mean he resolved, he settled, and some of us haven't done that yet. Resolved, settled. I love the King James Version. It says he purposed or determined in his heart. So the decision's up to us. 
But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile, that means taint or dishonor himself, with the king's finest food or with the wine which the king drank. So, notice, I want you to look at Daniel's demeanor here. I want you to look at Daniel's spirit. So what has he done? Daniel has purposed in his heart. He's made up his mind. He's resolved, I'm not going to defile myself. But he doesn't come across as bitter. He doesn't come across as angry like so many Christians do who have a made-up mind, who have decided not to defile themselves. They come off as angry, but not Daniel. Daniel says, the Bible says, so he asked the commander of the officials that he might be excused so that he would not defile himself. I just am not going to get into that because that's next week. But I just love the fact that Daniel goes, I know who I am. I know that I'm a Christian. I know who I am. Uh, Christian in this Old Testament sense. I know who I am. I know what God's called me to do. I know what my calling is. But I'm not going to be a jerk about it. Amen. How many of y'all know some Christians who need to learn that? That's what he's talking about right there. Know who you are. Know what you're called to do. Be firm in that. Be uncompromising in that. But don't be a jerk about it. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. We're going to talk about how do we speak to the world? How do we come across? How do we communicate? How do we relate to the world so that we can be uncompromising, but at the same time effective in touching their life for the purposes of Christ? Amen? Anybody interested in that? Anybody think that's relevant? That's some relevant stuff. Can I pray over you? Would you stand up and would you just walk up here and let me pray over you? I tell you what I believe about the bridge. I, I just believe that that that's your heart. If I know this church, that's your heart. Pastor, we want it straight up. We want it uncompromising. We want standards that are biblically based, and we want you to teach us what a godly lifestyle looks like. We don't want anything watered down. We don't want to live watered down lives. But at the same time, Pastor, we want to influence those who don't believe yet. Those whose hearts can't even really understand a lot of the things. Because the Bible says only the Spirit in you causes you to be able to understand things. So how do we do that? How do we influence the world? How do we... How do we say to them, a life with Jesus is the, is the life you were supposed to live when you were created, when you were brought into this world? How do we do that? How do we do that powerfully? How did we do that um, clearly, without compromise, but at the same time in a loving way that draws?
Jesus was like that, wasn't he? The Bible says the Pharisees and the religious people stood off, stood off from Jesus, murmured against him, and it says the sinners drew near. That's what we want. We want that spirit on us. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for every man and woman, every boy and girl here today. And we're going to leave now the sanctuary, the church, and we're going to go out there in that world. And we just pray that your Holy Spirit will empower us to be Jesus to the people who don't know Jesus, to have influence and be uncompromising, but be known for our love, to be known for our compassion, our generosity and caring. If you don't know Christ today, if you don't know Him, or maybe you're here and you're not really sure, just, just say to Him, Lord Jesus, I surrender. I surrender my life to You. I surrender my gifts. I surrender my heart. I surrender my mind. You died on the cross in my place. You rose from the dead to give me eternal life in heaven. And I submit to your plan. I submit to your work on Calvary. I submit to your victory over the grave. I know all of that was for me. No more pushing back against you. No more resisting you. I humble myself before you. And I surrender my life into your hands. Adopt me, Lord, into your family. Adopt me into your family. Wash my sins away and embrace me as your child as I embrace you as my Lord and Savior. Just say that to God. Just say that from your heart, from your spirit. Did you pray that prayer today? If you did, would you let us know? Would you just contact us? Use the email. Go back to the table back here at the back of the worship center and, let, and just let us know, I, I surrendered my life to Christ today. We want to help you. We want to put some material in your hand. We want to help you grow. We want to help you get your roots down. You're a baby. When you surrender to Christ, you're a little baby. You need help. To God be the glory. Everybody said amen. Thank you guys so much. I love you. Thank you.